Welcome to the men's global live stream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold a couple spots. One in John chapter 16 and the other in Psalm 42. Those are in the downloaded notes as well. So you wanna make sure and download those notes and all the other scriptures we'll be talking about today are in the downloaded notes for you to follow along. We're in a series called High Seas. No way around but through, and as the title suggests, we're talking about the unexpected storms of life and how they catch us off guard because we don't expect them, and they have the potential to sink our confidence in God because we're humans, right? And what is harder, and we pointed this out in part one, is that we know God. We know God's good. We know God can do anything. We know God sees what's happening. We know he's wise. We know he's in control. We know he has our best interests in mind. And it's that exact juxtaposition of the unexpected storm and what we know about God that can actually lead to some disorientation and some confusion, right? There's what I'm going through, and then I know who God is, and God's in my life, so why am I still going through this if God's God and this is still happening, right? Ever feel that way? Right, well, God's word is full of examples of men who had to navigate and negotiate that life juxtaposition of high seas, unrelenting, unrelenting storms of life, having to sail through it, and then God and his goodness and his ability and his wisdom and his love in the midst of those high seas, right? And we looked in part one at Jesus and his men all experiencing a literal storm, which then Jesus takes advantage of to teach his men in the moment and us some lessons about him being in the boat. Stop right there. God's in the boat. Jesus said, we're gonna go to the other side. He gave a promise that they were gonna get to their destination. They were encountering a little sea turbulence in the middle, but God was in the boat. God said they would get to the other side. God's allowing the storm. He's present, we see in that story of Jesus and his disciples on the Sea of Galilee in the tempest. He's present, but he's not fixing, right? And you see that creating, again, that juxtaposition of God's in the boat and he's not fixing it, right? Fear and confusion sets in. And we see that when God's in the boat, right? The boat cannot go down. If you can recall me saying last time, you know, the story of Messiah is not going to end in a boating accident on the Sea of Galilee. Why? Because of God's presence, because of God's promise that they were going to go to the other side and God's purpose, right? And faith in those make your ship unsinkable, right? And so in today's session, what we're going to talk about is a psalmist who's going through, we're now looking at a man navigating and negotiating sort of the storms of life. We're gonna start by uh, looking at Jesus and another discussion that he has with the disciples, and he's talking about turbulence, right? Now, I'm gonna change my metaphor from the turbulence in the, in the water, high seas, right, to turbulence in the air. You ever experienced turbulence? If, you've, if you're like me and you've flown over two million miles, circled Earth over 80 times in a plane, then you've experienced a little turbulence, right? 
And when I, when I travel, I'm really used to it. But when my wife travels with me, she's not so used to it. And she always asks me the same question. Are we okay? Are, are, are we gonna be okay? And my answer is always the same thing. Babe, these things are built to fly in this stuff, right? My answer's always the same. And then she holds onto my arm like it's a life preserver until it stops, right? But turbulence, right, happens when there's a change in the airflow. There's thermal turbulence where hot air is coming up from the bottom, right? There's wake turbulence, like there's another plane in front of you and that's, that's disturbing the air and then that makes, you know, your, your plane shake. There's jet stream turbulence, right? It's just the jet stream in the air. You know, there's mechanical turbulence, you know, which is buildings and mountains changing the flow of air and then your, your plane hits that, right? And, and pilots and control tower people do their very best to avoid it, like us, all right? We do our very best to avoid turbulence, all right? That's, that's, that's normal and that's natural, both for pilots and control, air traffic controllers, and for human beings going through life. We don't sign up for this stuff, but sometimes we get caught in it and we have to keep flying through. So there's another little metaphor that just kind of helps us think in the right direction. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus having a discussion about trials and tribulations where there's going to be high seas, there's going to be turbulent air, and there's no way around but through. And we find that in John chapter 16, verses 32 and 33. Let's read that right now. Jesus said this, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. All right, let's unpack what's going on and what's being said. The context of these words is this is the final huddle before the Passion Week, Jesus's celebration that turns quick on him into crucifixion and burial. And so Jesus is, is, is doing a few things here in this discussion, but that's the context and that's what gives a lot of meaning to these words. So let's unpack what's going on, what's being said. First, Jesus sees what they don't, right? He says a time is coming and it's here now, right? What, what time and, and, and what's here, right? He knows exactly God's timeline and what he's about to enter. They cannot see that, they cannot sense that. So that, that's number one. Jesus sees what they don't. Jesus sees that they're gonna be going through it. Secondly, Jesus predicts the immediate storm, right? Which is going to be uh, isolation and separation. He says, you'll be scattered right? This mob is going to come down on me so hard and you're going to, you're going to flee like cockroaches when the lights turn on. You're going to scatter, all right? You're going to abandon me, but hey, that's going to be a storm for you. You're not going to feel good about it. You thought you were loyal. Maybe you weren't. The mob ruled, but I'm not alone. The father is with me. Third, we see Jesus after offer safety and peace in the midst, right? He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me, right? Peace in me. So 
he sees what they don't see. He sees the storm. He predicts the immediate storm. Like, you guys are going to scatter. You're going to leave me all by myself to the mob, right? And here's the deal. When you're in the middle of that emotion and conflict and confusion, you're going to find peace in me. And don't worry about me. Uh, I have the Father. The Father is with me. Fourth, Jesus sets their expectations, right? Going forward, like, here's the immediate storm. Here's what's coming. You can have peace in me. He locates himself as the I, where the seas are calm, in the midst of the larger storm. He sets their expectations. You'll have many trials and sorrows, right? So going forward, he's like, hey, guess what? That's going to be part of your life going forward. That's instructive. Like, okay, a relationship with God doesn't insulate us from many trials and sorrows. And then lastly, Jesus guarantees ultimate victory. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And that phrase, take heart, I have overcome the world is really important. I want to unpack just a couple things. He says, take heart. The translation of that is take courage, be courageous, right? In the midst, not in the absence of your trials and sorrows. Wow. Okay, there's a concept that usually doesn't follow. Be, be encouraged, be confident, be courageous in the midst of my many tribulations and trials and delays and difficulties and sorrows. Yes, according to Jesus. And then he says this, here's your basis for the courage. I have overcome, or translation, I have conquered the world, right? This word is really specific. It's from the Greek verb nikeo, right? Which means to conquer. I have overcome. I have conquered, right? So what is Jesus saying, right? Through my life, through my death, through my resurrection and the presence of my resurrection power in you, what you, what could, what you could believe is conquering you, can't. Wow, all right? I, because of my life and my death and my resurrection, I'm victorious. And because I'm victorious, you're victorious. That's prophetic right now for a lot of you. You're feeling conquered, not like you're a victor in a situation. Well, because you're looking at the wrong set of, set, of, set of circumstances, right? You're looking at your earthly circumstances and you're letting that tell you who you are, right? But that's not what a man of God does. A man of God marches in Christ's victory. Christ was going to suffer. Christ was going to go through it. Christ was going to feel isolated and rejected and alone. And an injustice was going to be hurled on him and at him and was going to take his life. But he overcame that right? He, God, redeemed that. And that's what God wants to say to you right now. God wants to redeem everything that's happening that you feel is unjust, negative, isolating, makes you angry, makes you sad, makes you anxious. God is over that. He's got a plan that works around that. And that's why Jesus can say, but take heart. One of the best phrases in the Bible. Be courageous. Be confident. Why? Because I have overcome the world. How? How are they going to do that going forward? Well, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus is giving them all this ammunition for his their post-resurrection life, where 
he is going to be physically absent, but, but physically present, spiritually present in the form of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in John 14, right? Another uh, helpful bit of insight for how to go through the storm. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So again, how are they going to navigate this time where there's going to be confusion, mob injustice, their best friend and savior and messiah tried and convicted in a kangaroo court, put up on a cross, and they watch him expire, right? How, going forward, facing situations like that, where doesn't look good, doesn't feel good, can't see a way out, how are they going to make it through? Well, there's help in the form of the helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises that he's going to send from the Father, and the Holy Spirit's going to help you remember the things that I said, like take heart, because I have overcome all of it. Everything that happens in this world, I have overcome it because I've defeated it. I've defeated sin. I've defeated Satan. I've defeated death. And my, my experience is your experience. You might feel crucifixion, but you're headed to resurrection. Okay? And what I love is the contrast. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. So there's there's a juxtaposition of worldly peace and the peace that Christ gives. Now, worldly peace comes in the absence of turbulence, in the absence when things are okay. And that's what people strive for. They strive for worldly peace. You know, if, if I can have financial peace and financial security, if I can have relational peace and relational harmony, if I can have circumstantial peace and circumstantial harmony, and if I, about my future, if I can, you know, have the right insurance and, and the right plan, you know, then I'll have emotional peace, right? What Jesus is saying, life, is gonna bowling ball that, right? There are things that you can't control that all those nice little pins that you set up, right? To give you peace in a worldly sense, right? Create an absence of disruption. Life's gonna bowling ball that, Jesus promised it. He said, you're gonna have many troubles and sorrows. It's gonna upset the apple cart, but hey, the peace I'm gonna give to you, it's not rooted in your circumstances, right? The peace I give to you comes not in the absence of chaos and tribulation, it comes in the midst of it. Think about this, that's when it feels best, right? That's when you need real peace. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to bring to you right now. There are some of you, man, Caesar high, hitting the bow of your lifeboat, right? You're taking on water, you think it's gonna go down? Jesus is in the boat. The Holy Spirit wants you to know Jesus is in the boat. Your boat can't go down because of his death and his resurrection. He's conquered. He's the redeemer. He's going to redeem this situation, and you need to put your faith and trust in him. All right, so there's just another discussion with men of God who follow Jesus about the storms and what Jesus sees, what he predicts, what he offers, 
in the midst of that, how he sets our expectations for life, key thing, right? And then how he guarantees ultimate victory so he can say, take heart, because I've overcome. Let that sink into your spirit. Take heart, because I have overcome the world. Speak it, take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome what's happening to me. He will make sense of what's happening to me. He's gonna redeem what's happening to me. All right, let's look at a man now in Psalm 42. This is your next key passage. Um, he is what the Bible says is a son of Korah, right? These are men of God who are warrior worshipers. They're writers of songs, they're, they're worshipers. And in Psalm 42, a son of Korah has written down what essentially is a prayer in the midst of a huge storm, right? So here's a man of God, here's a worshiper, but man, he is in it, right? And he's fighting in the storm. And this is a great Psalm. We're gonna stick to the Psalm. There are no other passages except for the verses from Psalm 42. So let's, let's put the context in verses one through four of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. So let's unpack the balance of the prayer. Those four verses set the context. What did you hear in that? Well, you hear desperation, okay? As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. Just imagine, right? Thirst, a deer running, it's gone without water. There's a, that's a desperate situation when you're lacking water and you're a mammal or you're a human being. You need water, it's a desperate situation. You hear spiritual dryness, right? My soul is thirsty. I don't feel close to God, right? You feel despair. My tears have been my food day and night. In other words, I've been existing on sorrow. I've been eating sorrow. I've been digesting sorrow. I've been processing all my sorrows, right? And it's led me to tears, right? So you, you hear desperation. You hear spiritual dryness. You hear despair. Then you hear that discouragement all around him where as he trusts God and his friends or his neighbors or the people who know, knows that he's a man of God and he's trusting God and he's still suffering. They're like, hey, where's this great God you talk about? all the time, where's this great God you worship? Where, you know, you sing songs about him. Well, where is he? How come he's not showing up for you, right? And then you see there's the way things used to be versus the way things are, right? He says, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession in the house of God. I, you know, I used to be connected to other men of God and other believers and it was all great. So you can see his, you know, number one, issue going on here is isolation, okay? So let's, 
Let's go down and see what he starts to do in the midst of the turbulence, the high seas of life, and there's no way around but through. Number one, we see that he starts to preach to himself, all right? And that's a lesson for us. You start preaching to yourself. Um, you can call it whatever you want, preaching to yourself, healthy self-talk, right? Where we say to ourselves, hey, it's bad, but it's not fatal, right? Why? Because God is in the picture. Psalm 42, verse 5, listen to him preach to himself. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you come, become so disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. What's he saying to himself as he's preaching to himself, right? He's saying, this isn't fatal. This isn't final, right? Why? Because God's in my life. God has a purpose in all of this. God's not absent. God is present. In fact, that's, those are, that's his language. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And he's saying it in faith, just like, nope, God's not absent. He's present. And I'm going to start thanking him in advance, which is faith, for his presence that's going to come. So what a cool way to just kind of bring it down to the rawest level. You start talking to yourself, all right? All right, have you ever done that? Have you ever just said, nope, not gonna believe that. Nope, I reject that. Nope, that's not, that's not my life, that's not my identity, that's not reality, all right? The reality is, is that God is with me, and yes, the circumstance is real, but the way I'm feeling about it is not. My feelings are not the facts. Kenny, your feelings aren't the facts. God's here, God's at work, God knows, God sees, God has a plan. That's just an example in a very short way to, uh, about how you preach to yourself. You start talking to your soul, right? And you start filling it with life versus filling it with despair, filling it with truth versus filling it with lies. Secondly, he prays the way it is, and I love this, right? Um, he says, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. So he prays the way it is. He's totally honest versus what? He doesn't pray the way he thinks God wants to hear it, right? He starts admitting it to himself, and then he starts voicing it to God, right? And we see that the number one thing bugging him, the number one force and power of these waves that are crashing on him is that he's alone and that he's isolated. Hey, I think every one of us can relate to that. You can be physically alone like he is, separated from home. He's, he's north. He's in the land of the Jordan for some reason. Um, he's in the area of Mount Mizar, which is far from home for him. So everybody can relate to that when you're far from the faces that you know, far from being around the believers that you know, far from all the things that give you comfort, far from your living room, far from what uh, your people, your family. He, he's far from all those things. So the number one trial that he's in is that he's isolated and alone. And let me just say this, there are thousands of guys watching this right now. And you may not even be far from home, but you feel alone and you feel isolated. 
And instead of, which is our tendency, right? When we're feeling alone and isolated to withdraw, look in, fall inward, right? And move away from God, hide the problem, not talk about it. What does he do? He starts preaching to himself and he starts praying to God the way it is, not the way he thinks God wants to hear it in some sanitized and sanctified and tidy, you know, formal religious prayer. No, he, he preaches to himself, he, he, he prays the way it is. Third, what we see in Psalm 42 is he puts God's capacity and character to the test. Listen to where he goes next. He says this in his prayer, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I love that. Man, he just keeps on this authentic role. He's like, I'm gonna preach to my soul. I'm gonna start doing some healthy self-talk, all right? I'm gonna stop listening to this voice and start preaching in truth into my life. I'm gonna pray the way it is versus the way I think God wants to hear it or some religious way. And I'm gonna put God's capacity and character to the test. You know, the, the depths of God, he knows now, will meet the depths and answer the depths of his need. The depth of his sorrow will be matched by the depth of God's comfort. The depth of his necessity will be matched by the depth of God's supply. The depth of his longing right, will be met by the depth of God's love or his loving kindness. Man, deep starts calling to deep, right? God, you're deep in character. You're deep in comfort. You're deep in love, right? You're deep in supply. So the depth of my need, the depth of my discomfort, right? The depth of my longing and loneliness is gonna crash and collide with the depth of who you are and I am calling it out. You're gonna command your depth into my present disruption, right? You're gonna, you're gonna command your supply and who you are, your loving kindness, right? Your, your song, your praise, it's gonna come to me in the night. So I love this where the psalmist, the son of Korah, he's like, hey, I know who you are and I'm gonna call down who you are. So. The son of Korah, the man of God, he starts preaching to himself. He starts praying the way it is. He starts putting God's character and capacity to the test, right? Next, he starts progressing steadily forward, okay? So you can sense, like, there's some momentum, right? The psalmist senses kind of like he's, he's preaching to himself. He's praying the way it is. That's creating some spiritual power in his life, he's reminding himself of who God is and what God wants to do, his character and capacity, and he's putting that to the test, and he starts to progress kind of steadily forward, right? But even though he's gaining some momentum, right? The battle's not yet over. Listen to Psalm 42, nine and 10. I will say to God my rock, right? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, and they say to me all day long, where is your God, right? So he's got the next kind of issue and battle 
that he needs to address. In verses 1 through 4, it was that desperation, right? And that desire in verses 9 and 10. It's people, right? And uh, it's about not losing momentum. So here, he goes, not talking about the desperation, not talking about the isolation, right? He's talking about look, the battle uh, with people reviling him, right? And so he doesn't want to lose that momentum, all right? And that's, that's just moving steadily forward, right? He, he needs to not sink at first, right? So God, you know, sustains him. He starts preaching to himself, right? He then starts kind of swimming against the tide and the height of these waves, right? Making little progress, swimming against it steadily, right? As he prays, right? And, but it's, it's just, it's the next wave. And so he's moving steadily forward. Now, I know that that picture means slow progress, but it's progress. It's not where he was, right? He's not thinking about it the way he was before, where he was all in despair and his tears are his food day and night. He's beginning to preach to himself. He's praying the way it is. He's being honest. He's putting God's capacity and character to You see the process of the storm isn't consistent with the quick fix, which is what we want. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, when it, when it hurts, we want the hurt to stop. When it's painful, we want the pain to stop. When we're desperate and in need, we want some provision to fill the hole, right? We don't want a process. We want a solution, right? But a lot of times the process of the storm, and this, this is something that is hard to hear, but is a reality. The process of the storm isn't consistent with quick fixes. God could fix it quick, but there's something in there where you would see it, no, this is a stumbling block for my faith. No, God's not going, nope. This is gonna build your trust in me. I wanna see what's inside, right? I'm, I wanna, this circumstance is calling out of you what's really there. I'm wondering, you know, are you gonna start, you gonna start talking to your soul? You gonna start praying the way it is, talking to me honestly? Do you know who I am enough to be to put my character and my capacity to the test? And it's that process, Lord, like, yeah, I kind of do know who I am. Yeah, I know God. Yeah, I have access to God. Yeah, I can talk to God. Yeah, I can call down God into this. And now all of a sudden there's momentum. But it's not this pole vault where you're just like, whoop, and then you're you're over it all. No. The, the, if you get the product without the process, there's no growth, right? Just like you dads, you know, with your kids, you know, sometimes you gotta let them go through the process to feel it, experience it, learn it. If we know how to do that, our Heavenly Father knows how to grow us up too, all right? So, he starts preaching to himself. He starts praying the way it is. He starts putting God's character and capacity to the test, moving progressively and steadily forward. Lastly, he places and replaces his hope in God, right? And that's the next key bit of modeling. Place and replace your hope in God. You ever been in that cycle where it's like, man, I really kind of built myself up in the Lord, had a great time in God's word. I'm in the middle of the storm, but man, this, this, this word is like my rudder and it's steering me and I'm holding it and I'm holding it steady. I'm not letting it go, right? And I'm making some progress. But guess what? Man, oh, <laughs> here, come, here comes another one. And I have to replace my hope in God. Look at how he closes this out 
Again, we've heard these words before, but he has to do them again, right? He says this in Psalm 42, verse 11, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God, right? So the high seas meet a higher hope. The next high sea meets the higher hope. And we keep introducing the high seas to our higher hope. And that's a word from the Lord for many of you right now, right? When the seas are high, is your hope higher? And when your hope is higher, you are unsinkable, right? What's cool is that as God's man goes through these high seas, as he, as he preaches to himself, as he prays the way it is, as he puts God's character and capacity to the test and calls down his God into his circumstances, as he, as he wins this battle with this wave and this battle with this wave, progressing through the storm, placing and replacing his hope in God, what happens is high seas meet a higher God and it results in highest praise. And we see this in Psalm 40, the man after God's own heart. Psalm 40 verses one through three, listen to David as he's talking about after making it through his reflection on what happened. And it so mirrors what we've just talked about. He says this, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. And he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Wow. There's, there's the post-mortem on being in the storm. And what do you see? Well, you see your process with God, right? You see your process with God. What does it look like? All right, when you're in the storm, right? Patient, persistent prayer. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, he heard my cry, right? He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, right? He steadied me. So here's a man, he's in a process with God. He's spinning his wheels, right? He's in the mud and mire, he can't get out himself. So he cries out to God, right? And then he gets traction. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along, circle those words in your downloaded notes. That's the process. We're walking with God. We're sailing with God. We're in the air with God. Yeah, we're going to hit turbulence. Yeah, we're going to hit high seas, but we are going to preach to ourselves, pray the way it is, put God's character and capacity to the test, progress, grow. We're in God's process. He's with us. And he promises us we're going to get to the other side. And then he gets to the other side. He's walking along. And then secondly, we see your praise in the midst. He says, he has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. That's kind of like the son of Korah that we were reading about. God's going to command his loving kindness, and he's going to command his song to me in the night. Right? Songs in the night. Wow. 
So you see man's process, right? Then we see praise in the midst. The Bible calls that a sacrifice of praise. In the New Testament, what's a sacrifice of praise, Kenny? Well, it's when you affirm who God is and his goodness when you can't see it, can't feel it, and, can't, and are not experiencing it. That's faith. It, that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. You don't feel like doing it, but you know it's true. You're hanging on to your faith in the midst of it, and you're like, nope, God's good. You know, God sees me, God knows, God loves me. He's working out his purpose. That's a sacrifice of praise. So we see your process with God, your praise in the midst, and then others, put, write this down, others put their trust in the Lord. As they witness you being grateful, as they witness you being faithful in the midst, as they witness you being worshipful in the midst of your high seas and not in the absence, they're like, who is this person? Well, they have a higher God who's higher than their high seas. And their higher God gives them a higher hope, which allows them not to sink to the depths in the midst of this situation. But they're human, they're talking to themselves, they're talking to God, but they have this relationship with God in the midst of this that kind of reframes this tribulation into a triumph. And they're growing and they're deep and they're at peace and they're moving forward. They're not running from the problem. They're not medicating the problem. They're not escaping the problem. They're not having a pity party. They're not playing the victim. No, they actually see that God is with them, that God has allowed the storm, and that they are in it with him, and that there's a purpose and a plan for them in the midst of it. And then they see that and they go, wow, that's the Lord. They see God. That is one of the greatest statements. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, taking you through what could be super painful and super hard, but he's with you in it, right? And that's why the cross of Jesus is so helpful, right? He told the disciples as we started out, he said, hey, listen, storm's coming and it's here now, and you're gonna abandon me, but I'm not alone, right? And so that's a model for us. You're not alone. I'm telling you right now, you don't have to, you don't have to trust yourself. Trust me, trust God's word, trust Jesus. You are not alone. Jesus is in the boat. He's gonna bring you to the other side. You're gonna get home, all right? But between now and then, there's a process going on. And we're gonna have some healthy self-talk. We're gonna talk to our soul. We're gonna pray the way it is, not religious, formal prayers that we think God wants to hear. We're gonna lament. We can be frustrated. We can complain, but we're not letting go. And we're gonna put God's character and capacity to the test. And we're gonna put our hope in God. And we're gonna praise him. So let's do that right now. I know that every one of us has something in our lives where the seas feel high. And so let's pray for each other. Father, we pray for each other right now, this community of men, Lord, who uh, are walking this road on earth. And you said that as we walk in this journey, God, that we're gonna have trials and sorrows. We're gonna have tribulation. But right now in faith, Lord, we take heart. Lord, we take heart because you have overcome the world. You have conquered the trials and tribulations that we're experiencing by your life, 
And by your death and by your resurrection, God, you defeated sin, you defeated Satan, you defeated the imperfections and injustices of this world, and you took them and you can reshape them and redeem them. And so, Lord, that's what we're trusting in. We're taking heart in your victory. This is your victory, not our victory, Lord. And so we declare your victory over this turbulence, these high seas of life that we're experiencing right now, God, and we, we, we offer a sacrifice of praise. We enter your gates with thanksgiving. We enter your courts with praise. We give thanks to you. We bless your name because you are good. Your goodness does not stop because of our adversity. In fact, your goodness is there for us in our adversity, your presence. We call down your loving kindness. We call down your song for the night. And like David in Psalm 40, God, you're going to lift us out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. You're going to set our feet on a rock. You're going to give us a firm place to stand. You're going to put some new words, new songs in our mouth, a hymn of praise to you. And others are going to see us trust the Lord. And so I declare that for my brothers, every single person at the other end of my voice, the, uh, that others would see them trusting in the Lord and give their lives to you as a result. In Christ's name we pray. And God's men said, amen. Amen. We'll see you next Thursday. Tell a friend.